Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, November 17th. Canada plans to settle 500,000 permanent immigrants a year by 2025. Are we prepared as a nation to welcome this many newcomers in such a short time? We'll discuss what needs to be done to meet such an ambitious goal with Adam Owen, Senior Consultant at Navigator Limited. Still on the topic of immigration, Ukrainian newcomers to Calgary need our help right now. We'll discuss the process of opening your home to those in need and the challenges faced by the transplanted Ukrainian citizens in our city with Natalie Shen. Housing Coordinator for Vulnerable Populations with the Centre for Newcomers. Next, we head to the stars. We get details on Wednesday's successful launch of the Artemis II lunar mission and hear what Canada's role in the mission will be with a professor of physics from the University of Guelph. And finally, Pledge Day here at 770 CHQR is just around the corner. Our Dave McIver shines the spotlight on another unique charity that will benefit from your generosity in support of the Calgary Children's Foundation. Canada's goal to settle 500,000 permanent immigrants by the year 2025 will break immigration records in the country. What do we need to do as a nation to ensure we are prepared for the influx of these new newcomers? Joining us to discuss is Adam Owen, a senior consultant at Navigator Limited and the host of Political Traction podcast. Good morning to you, Adam. Hey, Andy, how are you? Good. Thank you for joining us this morning. In your article for The Hub... You say the world is coming for dinner and the house is a mess. Can you explain that interesting title? Yeah, absolutely. So first off, two-thirds of Canadians, more than two-thirds of Canadians support immigration, and I'm definitely one of them. It's something that's been drilled into us since uh, since grade school that our country relies on, inviting the world over and uh, and uh, adding to the, the milieu and the, the vibrancy and diversity of our country. It's what our economy and our culture is based around. But... In the past few decades, people my age have started to notice there are a lot of cracks in Canadian society. Um, our healthcare system, our housing, uh, from top to bottom, there are areas where we, I have serious doubts about the country's capacity and seriousness to be able to welcome these people when they come here and set them up for success. Yeah, that, that's where we sit now. Uh, I, I get what you're saying, Adam, because this was the mantra we were fed in school, and we do know that we're kind of this melting pot. We we, we accept all cultures. We let uh, everybody uh, have their own identity when it comes to the cultures, and uh, hopefully everybody gets a job. So let's talk about the economy, uh, the importance of immigration for the Canadian economy to, to fill jobs, to fill need. Um, uh, we don't click without immigrants in our country, do we? No, absolutely not. We find back doors to make it work, like uh, temporary foreign worker programs or undocumented workers. Um, but it's very difficult for uh, for immigrants, for new Canadians, especially those with uh, certifications and expertise from uh, from their own, from uh, their their origin countries, to even be have those have those uh, certifications recognized when they get here. We have surgeons driving taxi cabs, and that's a huge problem, especially as we have these. Uh, these cracks in our society, waves of immigration could be the perfect tool for that, but we're just not set up to be able to help these people find the jobs and the housing and the support that they need. So it's deeper than, you know, just having the space per se, the structures, it seems like the resources, the training and in the skills upgrading programs just aren't there. So when you, it's kind of like an onion to a certain extent, isn't it? When you peel it back, there's a lot of moving parts. There's, there's so many moving parts. And the problem is that those moving parts from where I'm sitting, 
I don't see them talking to each other. Uh, when you consider intergovernmental affairs, the way that Ottawa talks to the provinces, we have a number of provinces, including in Alberta, where the provincial government uh, doesn't want Ottawa to be stepping in and, and dictating how things, uh, how things should be operating. And there's definitely a, a, a case for that to be said. But when it's the federal government that's responsible for bringing a half a million new people to the country every year, they need to be able to have, we need to be able to have a systematic approach, that strategic approach that puts people where they're needed. Adam, I don't want to put you on the spot with this, but we have the numbers here. It's listed in the intro and you've referenced it, that half million immigrants by per year by 2025. How does this stack up when we compare it to other countries across the globe taking in immigrants? How, how does Canada, you know, uh, perform? So we still overperform. We overperform uh, as far as uh, our G7, uh, G7 contemporaries. Uh, we have been and, and continue to be a leader when it comes to immigrating people, uh, bringing them to the country. And even more successfully than that, we do it with a, with a smile on our face. Uh, there's always going to be elements of society that are opposed to immigration uh, for their own reasons. But generally, more than two-thirds of Canadians still support the, the immigration-heavy approach that Canada has taken and continues to take. And that's something that I am proud of. So I think we all we all are on board, and particularly in in this sense, it's it's not the perfect setup, but it never will be in the sense that you know there will be a trickle of immigrants, or in the case of the past few years with the displacement of, of Ukrainian citizens, for example, fast and furious coming in. Is this a case that that five hundred thousand per year by twenty twenty five might just be too aggressive with that kind of a timeline over you know thirty six months? Well, I don't want to look at it like that. I don't want to say it's too many and that we should we should we should stop the flow because it's still something. It's the lifeblood of our country. We just need to up our own game. We need to vacuum the carpet, uh, dust the drapes, put food on the table, make sure that when people come over, it's like when you have guests over, and that's the the title of the article. When you have guests coming over, mm-hmm. you want to make sure your house is clean. Yeah. Besides the house, we just got a text in here, Adam, by a texter by the name of Rob, who said honestly. Where are all these people going to live? I'm a landlord managing over 100 properties in Calgary. And there's already a rental and a purchasing crisis and not enough supply for the current demand. And never mind, another million people. Uh, I would be in favor of increased immigration uh, if our housing, education, healthcare systems would sustain. But that's simply not the case. That's the uh, thoughts of texter Rob. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, 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 absolutely, I absolutely agree. And, and uh, I don't want to... Uh, put words in, in Rob's mouth, but it's something that I do worry about, is, is that there is an opportunity for uh, populist leaders, for uh, anti-immigration leaders to drive a wedge into that sentiment mm-hmm. and say, well, when things start to get hairy in Canada, we're going to point the finger at these immigrants because we're going to start seeing them sleeping in street corners. We're going to see them, um, we're going to see the most negative effects, the most vi- vi- um the most apparent examples of our of our societal failures in these immigrants. It was going to be very easy for populist leaders to point the finger at them and say that they're the problem. And it's not the problem. The problem is that we did not get our house in order before we invited them over, and we need to do that. It's a great point and a super timely conversation, Adam. We appreciate your insight, and uh, we can direct people to read more of your work at uh, the Hub. Uh, you can check out the article on the Hub. You can also listen to Political Traction. It's a yes. weekly podcast that uh, myself and my Navigator colleagues put out uh, that covers all of the top political stories in Canada. I'll check that out, Adam. Thanks so much. And I just uh, dug up it's thehub.ca if you want to read uh, more on uh, that topic for sure. Thanks so much. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. That's Adam Owen.
a senior consultant at Navigator Limited and the host of Political Traction, that podcast that Adam did mention. Calgary has been Alberta's main destination for Ukrainian refugees, but helping these newcomers settle and find accommodation has been challenging. Joining us to discuss is Natalia Shen, Housing Coordinator, Vulnerable Populations for the Centre for Newcomers. Good morning to you, Natalia. Good morning, Andrew. Can you give us uh, some idea of the stats, just how many Ukrainians have been placed with, with Calgary families to this point? Uh, since the war started, the Center of, for Newcomers uh, has initiated and provided uh, great help for Ukrainian evacuees, uh, the same as we did for Afghan uh, families. Um, so, and since May, uh, when I started as a housing coordinator, uh, Center for Newcomers has helped more than 400 um, Ukrainian people uh, to find uh, their temporary homestay with Calgary families. And I actually would like to use this opportunity to say a big thank you to all host families uh, who actually helped a lot and opened their houses for Ukrainian families. You are really great people, and uh, I personally admire all of you, and you really make this world better. So thank you so much. But now we need even more of your support. And as you know, Russians are attacking um, energetic infrastructure in Ukraine uh, across the whole country. And uh, with very limited water supply and, and electricity and heating supply, mm-hmm. it's um, it's almost impossible to stay there even for people who hoped to stay in Ukraine now are uh, forced to leave their homes. So uh, that's why we really need even more of your support. Okay. Well, I want to talk about this, you know, as far as keeping up, uh, you know, with the need at this point, you say we need more support. Uh, To this point, has any Ukrainian family been turned away from a home? What do you do if there is no billet family available? Is there a temporary solution that you've been using? Sometimes we do have temporary solution for, for example, if um, people are reaching out to me from Europe or from Ukraine and trying to find a host. And, for example, uh, at some point we cannot uh, support with this. Um, they can arrive to the airport and potentially they they can be supplied with two-week uh, uh, free hotel uh, funded uh, by government. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, and um, after that uh, they still um, reaching out to me and but I have these two weeks uh, more time for for me to find to find a family for them, mm-hmm. and um, actually help sometimes with renting as well. So so yeah, we have this uh, kind of support as well. Got a system in place there. Uh, I'm wondering uh, what do Calgarians need to know if they're considering opening opening up their homes to Ukrainians in need and Ukrainian families. What what makes a good candidate as a bill at home? Uh, well. Um, Ukrainian people are, are very kind and very well educated. In most of the cases, they they like um, to to cook Ukrainian dishes and share with families. And, uh, and for my experience, um, all families are like uh, Canadian families are very happy to host uh, Ukrainian people, and um, uh, they they have to know that. Uh, Ukrainian people actually didn't want to leave uh, their homes and to leave their jobs and friends and parents. They are just forced to do this right now. And um, yeah, and if uh, if you can open your house and and um, and you can help with um, either the roof under the head or 
I want to help even more than that. And just simply call to the Center for Newcomers and uh, ask for the housing coordinator, Natalia Shen, and I will be ha- happy to, to talk to you, to answer all your questions and to provide as much information as you need and to find uh, the best match uh, for you and for, uh, for your preferences, possibilities in terms of your accommodation and space you can provide. So, yeah. Um, Natalia, I'm wondering, is there a website that we can direct people to? Sometimes they, it'll be easier for them to get information and get the phone number. What's the best website? The best, site, uh, the, the best website, it could be the Center for Newcomers. We also have uh, a button there, like, um, if you want to host, uh, and it will be reached out directly to me. So I'll get all emails. And so, yeah, the website, Center for Newcomers, the button, or just a call to, again, to the Center for Newcomers, the front desk, and the front desk will reach out to me. All right. Thank you so much for your time. We certainly appreciate it. And in the meantime, we're going to tell people centerfornewcomers.ca is where you want to be heading uh, for more information. Thanks so much, Natalia, and thanks for all you do. We appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. Natalia Shen, Housing Coordinator, Vulnerable Populations, Center for Newcomers. Three, two, one. Boosters in ignition. And liftoff of Artemis One. We rise together back to the moon and beyond. Yeah, we were watching it yesterday, the Artemis II mission lifting off yesterday. And Canada will play an important role in the upcoming lunar missions. With details, we are joined by Orbax, physics lecturer at the University of Guelph and co-founder of the Royal City Science. Good morning to you, Orbax. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good. I want to get some clarification because I was uh, watching this. It seems like it was two years ago it was going to launch, and then they had delay after lift. Um, I was watching this, you know, very excited. I'm interested in what's going on. But some clarification, something that I learned, I think I heard about this a few weeks ago, and then it was reiterated in the past 24 hours. When we say Artemis II, that is the mission and not the rocket. Is that right? Right. So technically what just took off was Artemis 1 is the the first launch of what they call the SLS rocket mm. with the Orion spacecraft attached to the top of it. So the project is called Artemis 1, which in the first phase of this project, we launched the biggest rocket that we've ever launched with the heaviest spacecraft that we've ever made uh, to go all the way out and around the moon in an uncrewed flyby and back to Earth. Um, the second phase of this, Artemis mm-hmm. 2, is going to be the same flight but with astronauts in it, including one Canadian astronaut. And Artemis 3 will actually take people up and send them to the moon in the Orion, back to the ship, and then back home. Okay, so these are fully planned stages. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. you do a lot of planning when it comes to this. But the question arises, Orbax, we have had human beings on the moon for over 50 years. Not, not you know, we, that's the first time we visited. Why is it important now to head back to the moon? Why did it take so long, and why is there renewed interest? Well, it's, it's an interesting thing, because like you said, it's been 50 years since we've been there. And we've sent uh, uh, craft up to Mars now to drop off robots. We've sent the James Webb Space Telescope out a million and a half kilometers beyond behind the, the Earth towards the sun. We've sent all these things up, but we haven't sent people. And there's this constant talk of, uh, you know, are we ever going to have colonies on Mars? Are we ever going to have colonies out in the further reaches of the universe? But why don't we try to have a colony that's fairly close to home first to see if we can even do it? 
that's the basis idea behind the Artemis project is that can we set up a lunar base? Can we set up a lunar colony when we're really only a couple days to get to the moon? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because uh, we, we, we read these sci-fi books and uh, we were I know, so, it's, so it's, it's wild, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid, you know, you, you, you had all these images of, of colonies on different planets. And, and for 50 years, we, we've never even really tried. So mm -hmm. the idea is to work out all the logistics, try to figure out how to do this, and then with that knowledge, move forward out into the solar system. Yeah, and well, I think about the, the economics behind it. This is not cheap, Arbax, is it? The, the, oh, yeah. The price no. will attach. <laughs> it, it will. But they think of it as well. What about all the added jobs that come from a program like this? Mm. You know, your kids, instead of uh, doing computer programming at home, they could be doing computer programming for the moon. Agriculture, how do you grow food on the moon? Logistics, how do you organize supply relay chains for the moon? Um, all these knock-on jobs that kind of come into effect just as a result of having this 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 new science. Okay. Yeah, well, let's talk about, the, you know, the, the job aspect in the sense that uh, we remember, I remember fondly, it was my era, with the Canada DARM, uh, the Canada mm -hmm. arm, robotics arm on the, the space shuttles. It's always such a hard thing to say. Canada arm. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I wasn't sure. Was it was it supposed to be Canada arm or is it supposed to well, be Canada arm? Yeah, I think technically it's all one word. So yeah. yeah, technically it's Canada arm. Yeah, yeah. Sounds, yeah, and then you sound like you're stumbling. Uh, <laughs> you just fell out of the bar. Um, but let's, let's talk, talk about this because that was spectacular to see that and we did feel like we were a part of, of something bigger than ourselves. What is our role going to be in the Artemis uh, you know, series of missions? Well, it's funny that you should say that because the Canon Arm 3 is actually supposed to be on the uh, Lunar Gateway. So we've Canon Arm 1, we know we had it on the space shuttles. Uh, Canon Arm 2 was, is on the ISS, the International Space Station. But Canon Arm 3 is going to actually play a role in putting together this orbiting lunar space station that they're creating as part of this project and will stay on there. So it will not only help to build that space station, but it will help ships dock uh, in the future to it. But you got to figure, too, that it's exciting because the International Space Station is 400 kilometers away. The moon is 400,000 kilometers away. Wow. So the Candarm 3 will be the furthest we've ever had a piece of technology like that trying to operate out in space. Okay. Let's talk about the, take it back a bit, Artemis, the name Artemis. There's some history behind it, and it's kind of a nod to the past, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not super well versed in my Greek mythology as much <laughs> as I'd like to be, but I believe it's the, it's the, uh, the goddess of the moon or the hunt, mm -hmm. um, and so yeah, it's this, this sort of nod towards that. I mean, as, as well, this, this project aims to intentionally put the, uh, the first woman to walk on the moon as well. Well, yeah. So, my, my producer says, by the way, Artemis was the twin sister of Apollo, apparently. So he is. A oh, Greek, well, there you go. A Look at freak that. here. Yeah. And, and Apollo was, you know, of course, the, the first moon missions were all named after the Apollo. Here's the, the next question, and I'll, uh, you know, get personal with you in a second, Arbax. But uh, what would it, what would you think it would look like? What would be, what would be being done by the folks that would, you know, to a certain extent, colonize or, or spend the first time spending more than a, a 24-hour period on the moon? What would that look like, and what would the missions be? Well, you know, I, it, it, it's it's kind of an interesting thing because. I, th I think when you say a lunar colony, we have these grandiose ideas in our head of, of you know, some sort of bubble-built metropolis that would sprawl out across an entire city. Um, whereas in reality, I mean, I don't know that it'll be much more effectively than a, ca a base camp. So creating basically, um, you know, one or two small outbuildings where scientists can actually sleep and eat. Uh, but I think most of their work would be done on the lunar surface. 
Um, the the biggest idea is again this orbiting space station, where they would be able to shuttle back and forth to the surface uh, from the lunar surface to the space station and orbit the moon. Mm-hmm. So I mean. It's going to be small steps at first, I think, yeah. but uh, hopefully we'll have that grandiose project as the end result. Could it, you know, you know I'm, I'm a, a product of, you know, watching movies and pop culture. Oh, I, me too. I hear you. <laughs> and I'm not talking <laughs> Star Trek, but I do remember, by the way, those pictures that you said that looked like in, in the 1970s, you'd flip through a book in school, it looked like a mall almost would be. On, yeah, yeah, on, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> and with, with plants. And, uh, would, it, would it be more so akin, do you think, to something like The Martian with uh, Matt Damon, where it looks like he's got like kind of some portables or like some uh, sea cans? Well, you know, I, I think it's going to be even. I, I don't know if you watch uh, Space Force on uh, Netflix there, mm-hmm. but I mean, they have a fairly accurate version of it where, you know, there's no atmosphere on the moon. So you can get away with And, and there's no atmosphere. And we anything that we put up there, we have to bring from home, yeah. right? So fundamentally, it has to be pretty lightweight. So I think you're going to see a lot of, you know, for lack of a better term, sort of domed tents, yeah. um, you know, that, that, that basically have some sort of atmosphere inside of them, but um, a heat shield outside basically kind of foil bubbles. Okay. Uh, really, I have a fancy version of going to the uh, the park to camp for the weekend. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We've got about 30 seconds, but I have yeah. to ask you the personal question or backs, and that is, given the opportunity, would you go for a, you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks holiday on the moon if you were offered it? In a heartbeat. You would have. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. The uh, The idea of space exploration and of being part of a project that has brought so many people together to create so much incredible hope for the future, I would be part of that in a heartbeat. All right. Uh, you seem to have the knowledge, so you'd be going in with your eyes open, that's for sure. Uh, thanks so much for your time, Orbax. We appreciate it. No problem. It. Take care. Have a great morning. You too. That is Orbax, and that is his name, Orbax, a lecturer at the University of Guelph and co-founder of Royal City Science 643 mornings with Sue and Andy right here on 770 CHQR. Pledge Day is just around the corner. Circle the calendar, December 2nd, folks. 770 CHQR once again working to raise funds in partnership with the Calgary Children's Foundation. And this morning we're going to hear from a local program using bicycle maintenance, bike trips, and mechanics to teach youth social and emotional, uh, and emotional learning using the bike as a tool. The Calgary Children's Foundation has raised money for small children's charities in the Calgary area since 1992. Many recipients are just not in position to do large-scale fundraising. Others reach a large number of children in need and or kids who are falling through the cracks. One of the charities that the Calgary Children's Foundation helps out with is Two Wheel View. Laura Eisted is the executive director. It got started uh, out of somebody's garage. It's one of those, you know, kind of projects that grew out of a, out of a dream to uh, to bring young people and bicycles together, and and uh, and grew from there. And it actually started in a in a garage in Minnesota. And our, our founder moved to Calgary in 2006 and brought the organization with him. And it's we've been flourishing here ever since. We use the bicycle as our vehicle for change in lives of young people in our community. Uh, so we do a lot of different programming. We provide. Uh, educational opportunities for young people to learn about bike mechanics. But more than that, it's about social emotional skills, finding a sense of belonging, connecting with other of their peers that they might not have connected with before, and and then just the opportunity to to sort of explore their city on two wheels and and have everything that 
we all know that bikes gave us when we were young, um, give them the opportunity to experience those that kind of freedom as well. And we go into schools uh, after school four days a week. Uh, we go to two schools a day and we uh, we deliver these earn a bike programs. So we teach bike mechanics. Uh, but like I said, we, we, we infuse a lot of different life lessons and different, uh, different skills in there as well. And after 10 weeks of attending the program, learning about bikes and all the aspects of that, uh, safety, learning about more about their community and how they, where they can and, and, and ride and how to ride safe, uh, they earn a bicycle lock helmet and toolkit at the end of the program. We rely on our teachers to identify the young people who participate in our program. And, and our, you know, our kind of um, way of, of letting them know, you know, the youth that, that are in the program is youth that wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity and could really benefit from this type of experience. So, so that, you know, we have young people with all kinds of stories that come through our program doors. They're new to Canada. They might not speak English. They're socially isolated in their school for whatever reason. Uh, their family, you know, is struggling uh, economically to provide them with a bicycle. And um, it gives them an opportunity in a community. And, and these, our bike clubs really become a family for these kids uh, as they go through the program. And then after we leave as well. So we, we know that there's more kids that are attending days of school because they have a bike to access school uh, through our programs. We know kids are more physically active as a result of our program. So it's, it's a pretty uh, special thing to be a part of. We're so thrilled with the support from Pledge Day and the Calgary Children's Foundation. It's uh, It's been amazing. Um, we put that money towards those, those costs of getting young people uh, helmets and locks and the toolkits. A couple of years ago, we, we sort of realized we've been teaching all of these skills, uh, but not providing the young people with the tools that they need to be able to continue uh, the learning and exploration. And, and, and so we provide toolkits now for the young people uh, that graduate from our program, which we you know, we know helps them keep their bike in good working order. But we, we suspect it's helping other places in the fam, you know, family homes and stuff as well. And, and they're transferring skills that they've learned on the bikes uh, to other types of um, mechanical repairs in the home and, and for friends and neighbors as well. So so um, that support has been tremendous to be able to get those kinds of resources into the hands of young people. Because we don't know, you know, when we get the right tools into the hands of young people, we don't, we have no idea where that's going to take them, but it, it's, it's going to be pretty amazing. I think, you know, investing in this kind of uh, thing is such a community effort and it makes such a difference for the people who are receiving uh, these funds and, and these kinds of resources. And together we can raise all boats. And, and that, that means so much, you know, always has, but even more so now uh, with greater people in need and, and it gives people a hope. It, it really helps uh, bolster uh, the, the work that we do here at Two Wheel View and the other recipient organizations as well. So join us Friday, December 2nd for Pledge Day, where the dollars you donate can go to programs like Two Wheel View, giving children tools and skills they may have not had before. For 770 CHQR, I'm Dave McIver.